Welcome to Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak, where we explore the tools and tactics that drive improvement. If you're hungry for more and better, if you want to move past hype and discuss how, you're in the right place. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine. My guest today is Howard Behar. Howard's career in business spans over 50 years, all in consumer-oriented businesses covering several industries. But you most know Starbucks. Yes, that Starbucks. In fact, after 21 years with Starbucks, he retired and now as a guest and does wonderful things like this for some of his friends. But man, he was at the time of retirement, president of North America and founding president of Starbucks International. During his tenure, he participated in the growth of the company from 28 stores. I mean, just a few, far from what you're thinking of modern Starbucks. And when he left, it was over 15,000 stores spanning five continents. He then served on the Starbucks board of directors for 12 years until he retired from that. Mr. Behar is currently a trustee for the Sherry and Les Biller Family Foundation. He's on the advisory board of Anthos Capital. He formerly served as a board member for Starbucks, Gap, Shugard, University of Washington Foundation, and ID Tech, just to name a few. He is still having a big impact with his life. Mr. Behar is committed to the development and education of future leaders. And he's been a longtime advocate of the servant leadership model, which is what I am passionate about as well. He's also authored two books on leadership titled It's Not About the Coffee and The Magic Cup. Both of them are brilliant. And Howard has been a big influence on my life, as I will talk to you more about when we get him on here. So it is with great pleasure that I welcome the former president of Starbucks and Starbucks International, Howard Behar. Howard, thanks for joining me. I'm really been looking forward to spending some time with you and talking further. Scott, thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I think, you know, I'll tell this for the group that's listening. You and I have mentioned this, but man, you've been an influence in my life for a long time. Back when I was on staff at Chick-fil-A is the first time we brought you in for you to speak to the group. And uh, I learned a lot from you then. We were studying Starbucks and learned a ton about great customer service and really great, kind of build a great company. And then since then, I've just uh, been delighted to keep learning from you and and getting your your tidbits along the way. So this this is kind of a, a doubly special personal treat for me to be able to share what you said and stuff I've learned from you with the rest of the audience. So thanks for a bit of time, man. Um, I want to start with, because, you know, the focus of this is about the upgrade journey and what it takes for us to grow and upgrade. And you, you know, in the bio, we talked about how small Starbucks, when you started, I think it was 28 stores, if I'm remembering right, when you first got involved and it grew and grew to thousands. I mean, uh, massive brand. And of course it keep growing, but you really took it from a local mom and pop little cool idea to, to an international brand. And everyone probably talks and tells stories about Starbucks's growth journey. I thought I would flip the coin and look on the other side. I'm assuming you had to have a pretty remarkable growth journey, you and the rest of the team. Like you can't just grow a company without growing yourself. So what was that like? Can you remember what you guys were like when you first started? And can you talk a little bit about what the growth experience was like for you as a leader running something that big? Well, I'd had, before I got to Starbucks, I'd had multi-edit experience, but nothing at the scale 
Right. Although when I got there, 28 stores, I had I had re, had had responsibility for a much larger organization than that. But Starbucks started to grow so fast, we were opening. At the beginning, we doubled the number of stores we had. Then we doubled it again. That was a fast track. And you know, you began to realize that you're not in control. Hmm. That it's your, you have to knock down the hurdles for your people. You have to set the tone. You have to make sure that we're living according to the values. But but other than that, you got to let go. And you know, of course, you hold yourself accountable. You hold your people accountable. But at the end of the day, you've got to learn to get out of the way. And that was one of the biggest lessons I had to learn is just to trust and get out of the way. Yeah. Okay. So there's a few things in there I want to go double click on that are interesting to me. So you had, I've always focused on your Starbucks journey, but that makes sense. You had larger roles in larger companies. Can we go back and go, what convinced you to, to bet on this little bitty coffee shop in the Northwest? I mean, why, why make that switch? Some might say that that could have been on paper, a, a backwards movement, right? What is it that caught your eye and said, there's something here? Well, you know, at the time I was, I was leaving an organization that was in trouble and we sold it. I had to figure out what I was going to do. And I was in my kind of my early forties and I met this young guy, Howard Schultz, right out of the gate. He was right. a friend, friend and we had breakfast and he was looking for a VP of operations. At that time they had about 10 stores. Mm. And so, you know, we sat down and we talked and he had this long list of criteria. First one, college degree. I didn't have that. Second one, he wanted somebody with food service background. I didn't have that. Finally, we got down to number 10. Can you breathe? Yes, I could do that. <laughs> that, was, that was about the only thing on the list. And so we shook hands and we parted company. And I went on my journey trying to find a company to buy. And about a year later, I happened to find a company to buy. It happened to be a franchise in, uh, for Oregon, Washington, British Columbia. Mm. And I didn't know anything about franchising, but Howard had an original investor that I happened to know who had a lot of experience in franchising. So I went to talk to him. And as soon as I started pitching my heart out to why I should be able to buy this company, yeah. he said, what do you want to do that for? We need a guy like you at Starbucks. And I said, well, I've been down this pathway before. I don't know that I fit what Howard wants. He said, if we still haven't filled that position, you'd be perfect. I want you to meet with Howard again. So I did. And Howard and I sat down again and I said to Howard, before you make a decision or I make a decision, either way, you know, I'd like to work in the company for a week. You take a look at me. I'll take a look at the organization and I'll do it. I want to do it for free. So I worked on the trucks for a couple of days. I worked in the roasting plant for a few days and the stores for a few days. And by the end of that week, I said, gosh, this is, this is special. Mm -hmm. I, I caught right on that it wasn't about the coffee, that it was about the people. Now, Starbucks wasn't convinced yet that's what it was, but and neither was Howard, but I believed it after that first week. And fortunately, Howard extended an invitation. So, you know, uh, luck is where opportunity meets preparation. So I was lucky it came back around, mm. and I was prepared for it, and the opportunity was there. So, Man. you know, Howard extended the offer. So that's how I got there. I turned right instead of turning left. It's not like I... I, I, I love the business. I thought this fits me. You know, I, I can attach to this, but I didn't know it would become what it's become. There was no way. Yeah. Oh, hundred um, percent. Man, there's lots of good stuff in there. We talk a lot about 
the importance of high trust relationships and how your connection to the investor and your connection to Howard, even though he didn't offer you the job, clearly there was enough trust in there to say, let's talk again. And the long play there. um, But also I love your, your openness to that, right? You were actually pursuing buying this other franchise and they kept saying, we'll check this thing out, check this thing out. There's um, I think many times my best opportunities are things that I wasn't expecting to come. Uh, So, you know, my, one of my mentors, Truett Cathy from Chick-fil-A, he, he taught us his life strategy was be ready for unexpected opportunities. Um, I don't know what's coming, but you said luck and preparation, right? Like I, I at least get myself ready just in case. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good saying. Be ready for unexpected opportunities. It's so, yeah. it's so true. So, man, okay, really cool. Then, then you talk, drop this nugget about letting go. I mean, this is counterintuitive for a lot of us, right? Like we're passionate about excellence. The more we care about building something great, the more we want to grab it and and make it just so. And, and there's all sorts of folks talking about excellence and quality. And you've got all these examples of people saying, you know, I, I didn't stop grinding until I made it just right. How did you make that shift where clearly you said you, you pay attention to the values and you pay attention to getting obstacles out of the way, but, but you had to let go of some of those decisions. Um, what, what happens internally? Was it, uh, was there somebody challenging you? Was it a thought process? Like what was going on? Can you kind of remember back on the internal journey there? Well, I, I always believe that everybody should get to vote in any organization. Hmm. People, people want to have input. They want to know they're making a difference. They want to be able to use their skills. They want to be recognized for their skills. And, they, you know, they want somebody to coach them, but, but they also want somebody that, that pushes them a little bit, but, but cares about them. And I used to have, I created this saying, instead of everybody gets a vote, that the person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom. Yeah. Say that again. That's good. The person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and what I mean by that, you hire great people, you bring them into the organization, you know, align them with the greater purpose of the organization, make sure they're aligned with the values of the organization or you shouldn't be hiring them. doesn't mean they're exactly the same, but, and then, Talk to them about what you need from them and what what you're expecting them to be able to do. And then, you know, meet with them every once in a while, you know, inspect what you expect, but get out of their way. You know, if you believe in them when they came, you know, they're going to make mistakes along the way. And when they make a mistake, you know, as long as it isn't a bit the farm kind of mistake, you know, you support them and, and you ask them, what did you learn from that? And and then you move forward. Now, if somebody continually makes the same mistake over and over, and then that's a different conversation. But right. but most that's hardly ever. Yeah. You know, hardly ever. So, you know, it's it's respecting your people, trusting their judgment. And it's amazing what they do when you trust them. Hmm. Yeah. I, there's a lot here. It's not, I think a lot of people feel like there's um like a pendulum swing, right? Like I'm either controlling it all for excellence or fine. I let it go and it go nuts. But you talked a lot about the communication, uh, the hiring on the values, giving them a clear, what do I need from you? Checking in with them as they're, as they're doing well, even as they're doing mistakes, that, that kind of question asking and, and development process. So it's not, it doesn't sound like it's hands off. Like, like I'm not paying attention. It's just a kind of engagement. Yeah, no, you look at servant leadership at its core is about performance. Mm. It's about getting the job done. 
It isn't this mushy stuff that everybody thinks it is. It's about holding yourself accountable and holding your people accountable. Huh. But you, you get performance not on the backs of your people, but with your people. Mm, that's you know? so true. Yeah. So th- there's there's three core ideas about servant leadership, and this feeds into this whole area about trusting yeah, yeah. your people. So your primary responsibility as a leader is to help your people grow as human beings, mm. right? That's your primary responsibility. Secondary responsibility, help your people grow as professionals. Hmm. So that's holding them accountable, coaching when they need coaching, et cetera. Yeah. And then your third responsibility is to help your people achieve their goals in life, hmm. to identify and achieve their goals in life. And if you do those three things well, and you trust them, and you understand that the person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom, it's oh. amazing what can be accomplished. Wow. Yeah, I a lot in there that I love. Um, the fact that you put them over the performance, it's not either or, right? We want good oh, professional oh. performance, but oh, we both. care about you as a person more than the deal. You know, um, yeah. I'm going to try not to keep quoting Truett all the time, but there's so many similarities between your approach and Truett's. Uh, Truett's the founder of Chick-fil-A. So yeah. he said all the times, and it was interesting how these two things go together. He would say, every person is more important than their job. And no job is more important. No, no person is more important than the mission, right? So like right. every person's more important than their job, their, their life yeah. and their value yeah. matters more than the task, but Hey, we're not going to throw aside the mission. If you're not the right fit here, yeah. go find another place. Right. So it's this yeah. individuals and mission. And you talked about that, the values and purpose of the organization, but also these humans matter and they matter more mm. than task. And, and when you bring what I think is, I love about this is it's the both and that you're talking about. Yeah. It, it's if either, or I think you end up unhealthy, but when you put them together. Yeah. Really. Remarkable. I mean, it was hard to get fired at Starbucks for <laughs> missing, missing your numbers. Yeah. It was easy to get fired at Starbucks for not living up to the greater purpose and the mission and their values and how you treated people. Wow. You know, we had a lot of room for missing numbers because numbers come, numbers go. You know, one month you have a good month, the next month it's not so good. Sure. You know, it's that's the way of that's the dance of life, right? Two steps ah. forward, one step back. Right. So, you know, that's I think that's the key is understanding that that nobody is above the values of the organization. Mm. Man, I have to confess, I so as a consultant, we get inside a lot of companies and it is Sadly, I think the the common, the most, by far most common is the exact opposite, where it's uh, numbers are what get you fired or not. And you could mess up on the values and we'll just kind of tolerate that jerk in the corner, but because he hits his numbers, right? And you guys yeah. had that backwards. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, right. so, so how do you measure that? I mean, I, I can't resist. I'm putting on a little bit of the leadership uh, organizational strategy hat. Like, how do you evaluate when somebody's on value or not, right? Is the is there a score? Is this a manager feedback? I mean, what what? how do you catch when somebody's starting to stray off the values? I, you know, you listen to the people that they work with and the people that report to them. You ask questions and you listen. I mean, we all have the you know, perform annual performance reviews, surveys, we have those things. But but I I truly believe the primary way to do that is to listen. Mm. Listen to what's not being said, you know, and that's the key is is when you're talking with your people, right? They tell you everything you need to know. Now, you know, in a company the size of Starbucks or Chick-fil-A, Truett or you couldn't possibly know everything that's going on in every store every day 
of the year. It's not possible, but people in the stores know. So mm -hmm. you got to find mm -hmm. methodologies to help them give input. You know, we used to have this program called Mission Review, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it was a card that went in every paycheck. And it basically asked one question, what have we done lately that either, either lived up to our guiding principles, our mission, or has not? And they could they would send those cards back, and they were indicators of what was going on, and that's what you're looking for. You know, very seldom do does somebody really abuse somebody, and that gets boom, it blows up right okay. in your Most of the time, it's just little. It's a you know, it's a little river that you're following, or it's a it's it's little things that come up that you you know you hear about, you recognize. It's, it's not easy. Yeah, it, it it is extremely difficult, and and if you're not paying attention, if you're not really listening, and you know I can't couldn't listen to the person that was in Tokyo, right? Because I was in Seattle, but right. somebody else somebody else could. Yeah, and there are always signals, hmm. and you just have to pay attention to pay attention to the signals. It's, you know, there's an old saying where there's smoke, there's fire, hmm. and so look, look for the smoke signals. That is good. Yeah, and I think too often as a leader, I confess I've uh, I've been more focused on what I'm saying than than what I'm listening to. Uh, yeah, you know, I've got, I'm trying to preach something, or I'm out, you know, trying to challenge them on some area. Um, but there's a tremendous power in just having the mentality and the habit of asking questions um, formally through programs. Also, we we did a lot of site visits, and I remember watching the way they would do site visit. I kept waiting for, the, especially in my early days. I'd travel with Truett and then his son Dan and the other executives, and kept waiting for them to like gather all the team and give their rally. And mostly they would wander around and ask questions. Um, and so this yeah. is like confirming or like coming to mind when you think about this, like, ah, oh, I've totally seen this in process, the the importance of listening, which I was on the stores. I was in the stores almost every day hmm. and I traveled 70% of the time. I wow. had three questions I would ask, you know, if I'd walk into a store, I wouldn't go to the manager and say, Hey, how are the, how, how are the results? Right. I'd right. Go, I'd go. I'd say hi to the manager, and then I'd go talk to the baristas, and I'd ask always ask three questions: What do you like about Starbucks? What don't you like about Starbucks? What would you change about Starbucks? And it's not that one answer was the solution. Yeah, yeah, or the key. But you know, I always I, I was an alchemist, and an alchemist basically take a bunch of disparate thoughts, bring them together, and that's what I was looking for: threads, yeah. threads, yeah. threads conversation after a while the threads would start to make this tapestry and all of a sudden you'd say oh maybe we ought to do that or here's a problem we need to address that's brilliant yeah because i you can't overreact um one cranky person may may not actually be reflective of the whole brand it might just be a unique problem they have but a hundred of them and a thousand in the same theme and you start noticing like maybe there's something we need to do here so that that's beautiful. Um, okay. That, that is an interesting transition though, because man, I mean, 70% travel and in the stores and this fast growing brand and, and you're retired now and have been for yeah. a little while. Yeah. I know we were talking about this earlier. So if you don't mind, I just want to get a little bit on the personal side and talk about what's servant leadership and life like after you've read something, you know, led something this big, grown, you're kind of on the front edge of this wave and the, the constant excitement and ups and downs of that. And then, and then the, the piece of retirement. I mean, what, what's the journey like after you build something great? 
Well, you know, I used to always say to everybody that worked at Starbucks, you are not Starbucks and Starbucks is not you. You are a whole person when you came to Starbucks. Hopefully you're a better person when you leave, but you're still that whole person. But I fell into the trap. Hmm. And, you know, I I got, I literally got depressed. I mean, seriously depressed. And it lasted for a couple of years. And I had all the tools at my disposal. I I was pretty much, I was very self-aware. I, you know, I'd always, if I needed counseling, I went to it and got it. I did the things that I needed to do. I just couldn't get out of it. Mm -hmm. And one day I was laying on the sofa. I'm here in Palm Springs, California, and I was reading a book. And I was literally thinking my life isn't worth it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how bad it got. And all of a sudden, out of the thin air, you know, whether it was God, who knows, Mm -hmm. whatever, came and the words came into my head, Howard, your life's work is still your life's work. Huh. And I re- and I just repeated it over myself. My life's work is my life work. And you know how you nod to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and and all of a sudden I realized that is so true. I don't need to be, you know, have a title. I don't need to have an office to, to do my life's work. You know, I can spread my gospel wherever I go by just right. talking about what I want to talk about and reinforcing. And so it took me a few months to get back on track, but I did. And I began, you know, I was I was a believer in servant leadership. And I was, when I was at Starbucks, I, I was my mantra, you know, talking about it all the time, what it meant, you know, how it works, how do you do it? And I just got back on that, uh, on that wagon again and started doing it. But, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I wasn't getting hardly any feedback. I get decent feedback, but not like you get when you work in an organization. Oh, yeah. But, and you have to be willing, you got to be willing to accept that. You got to do your work even when you, nobody says, hey, boy, Howard. That's profound. Um, and I think, I mean, there's a lot. Wow. We, we talk about this, right? Your identity is not your job. You're, you're not the first. In fact, it, what I, what's so striking to me about this is you literally taught that uh, to other people, right? right. But, but it's so instinctive. It's so cultural. I mean, it, yeah. just, it just bakes into you that you can say all the words yeah, and not be part of you. All of a sudden, you lose track of it. Yeah, it was there. Yeah, it was sitting there, and I just wouldn't allow it in. You know, I I just wouldn't allow it in, and I finally, when I did, you know, then everything came about. Wow, yeah. that's that's amazing. And so, you know, there's probably somebody listening today that this this might be their moment. You might be uh, laying on your sofa, metaphorically, right, or, or literally. Yeah wondering yeah. what am I doing here? I'm not getting the the external results. I'm not, I'm not leading a brand that's growing all over the world. Like I, all the, the job part is not there for me anymore. Who am I and why do I do this? And I, I think yeah. Howard's words for you are powerful. Your life's work is still your life's work. Um, in fact, I can attest to the fact that that the impact you have had, I think pretty much all the time that I've been learning from you has been post your retirement. I mean, my yeah. life is significantly better and it has nothing to do with the job because you weren't doing the job when we first met. Um, yeah. No, I mean, you know, we think we need to be paid for everything. We need to be, you know, and I remember when I worked at Starbucks for nothing, you know, my dad, dad taught me a, a valuable lesson. Not everything you do in life do you need to be paid for. And once I realized that, and pay comes in a lot of different forms, right? It's recognition, right. you know, it's yes, sir, boss, you know, it's, yeah. it's that kind of stuff. And once you let go of that, 
and realize that you're not, you might not get recognized. You're not going to get any trophies, but mm-hmm. you still do your work because it's your greater purpose. Well, okay. This is beautiful. Can we get a little bit specific or tactical here? What does that look like? Right. I mean, if, if, I don't think part of the problem I think is we don't have a frame for how to make a difference or be productive if it's not on the job. So what are you doing? What, what have you done in the last uh, decade or so that's, that's been like, Hey, here's how I'm making a difference and, and pursuing servant leadership, even though I'm not doing it for uh, a standard paycheck. What, what are the activities? What are the methods? Well, I ended up writing two books. Nice. And I just want to interrupt and say, we're going to put links to this in the show notes, but guys, I've read the books. They are really good. In fact, the book I just launched uh, borrows ideas and quotes you a couple times. So they're, they're great stuff. So, so you wrote some, some pretty good, I books, in my opinion. And then I, I decided I was going to start posting. I was started on Twitter. I let that go. Okay. Yeah, but I stayed and I went to just LinkedIn yeah. and I, and then I just started getting opportunities like this one right here to talk about the things that I believe in. And I didn't, I never turned down an opportunity. If somebody calls and says they're willing to listen to what I have to say, particularly about servant leadership, I want, I want to change how, how people lead. I want to change number one, how people lead themselves. Number two, how, how they lead without power and then how they lead in organizations. Yeah. And you know, uh, that's my, what I'm trying to do. And I just keep, Beating that drum, beating that drum, beating that drum. Sometimes people listen, sometimes people don't. And that's what I said. I don't get paid for that, but so what? I don't need to because I'm doing what I love to do and what I believe in. And you don't. if I can help one person have a better life, that's good enough for me. And I may never even know it. That is, that's not just... um useful or interesting. I think that's like the, the paradigm. That's the ideal of saying, are we really doing it for purpose or not? Right. And, um, and showing up day in and day out. What I think your life is an example of, and I've seen as well is when you dial into your purpose, when you figure out what you care about and the way you can make the world a better place and pursue something bigger than yourself, then opportunities start opening up. I mean, people who are truly on a mission for a noble purpose, um, that we talked earlier, right? The unexpected opportunities. I think there are more opportunities than most people realize. They just, oh. they're not clear on what they're pursuing or why. Yeah, it's endless. I have, you know, for 50 years, I have carried with me, uh, oh, it's a one page piece of paper and it's a hmm. picture of Howard and 50 words or less. I'll show oh, you. Yeah. Show me, yeah, and, and and read it for those who can't see this. Yeah, here, here it is, right here. It's in plastic, right? And you can't see it there, but anyway, there you go. There it is. Anyway, yeah. well, on it has my mission, personal mission statement, mm-hmm. which goes like this: to live my life every day, nurturing and inspiring the human spirit of myself first, and then for others. And the reason why I say self first, it's not selfish. It's that I, I've come to understand after living the as long as I have. If you're not okay with you it's very difficult to help somebody else. That's, and then I have my core values on here, my yeah. my eight core values. And then I have my six Ps, how I do everything in my life. Just a minute. Do you mind reading, like just list what no, those are? Sure. sure. My eight core values are honesty, fairness, respect for self and others, responsibility, integrity, trust in self and others, caring and love. Wow. And then I define what those things mean to me because my first core value is honesty. And probably every one of your listeners would say they were honest. But sure. if we dug a little bit deeper and say, what would you tell a white lie about? 
Mm. Probably everybody, every one of your listeners at some time in their life has told a white lie or a bigger lie, who knows? Mm. But, but so you have to define what honesty means because values are just words until you turn them into actions and decisions in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Until you live up to it. Yeah. So then I have my six P's. It's how I do everything. My first P is everything I do in my life has to have a purpose greater than my soul. Huh. Right. It's always bigger than me. Yes. Bigger than me. Cause it's got to get me up in the morning. And then if, if I have purpose greater than myself, then I damn well better be passionate about it. Come on. Scream it from the highest mountaintops, have energy behind it. Talk to people about it all the time. Commit, you know, right. and then the third P is persistence because you know, in the rivers of our lives, there are rocks. Mm. And sometimes the rocks are above the water. Sometimes they're below the water. Who knows where the rocks are, but uh, you know, we hit those rocks and we have a choice. We can either we can either quit, or we can blow those rocks up, or go around them, or underneath them. Yeah, right. And so persistence pays in this life. Hmm. And then hmm. the fourth P is patience. And you'd say, well, patience is the opposite of persistence. No, it's really not, because hmm. you know, not everything comes in the time frame we want. You know, sometimes getting underneath that rock takes a lot of digging. Yeah. Right. And you got to be willing to put the time in. So you got to have patience sometimes. Mm. And the most important person you have to have patience with is yourself. Oof. Right. Yeah. And then you got to have patience with others because not everybody comes along at the same time you do. Yeah. And then the fourth, fifth P is performance. Performance matters. And when you make a commitment to another human being or to an organization, or when you make a commitment to yourself, you know, you're getting measured and, and you should measure yourself. How did I do today against my mm -hmm. values, against yeah. my mission? How did I, how, do I, how did I, I live up if I'm married and I said I'm going to have a monogamous relationship? Then you better do that because that's performance. Right. And if you agree to be at your son or daughter's soccer game, then you darn well better show up. Yes. You know, performance matters because you're getting measured all the time. Mm -hmm. Either you, your wife, your kids, whoever knows. Right. whoever's measuring. And then the most important P is people. Okay. Everything we do in life is about serving people, is about serving another human being. There is no role that we will play, no job we'll have, no title we will have that isn't about serving other human beings. Whether you're making chicken or making coffee, it doesn't make any difference. Yes. Uh, I remember when we first brought you to Chick-fil-A back in the day, you talked to us, uh, how did you say it? Uh, we're not in the the... We're not in the coffee business serving people. We're in the people business serving coffee. That's right. That's right. Well, and by the way, I don't know if you know this. We we made our own version of that at Chick Fil A, and they say this all the time. We're not in the chicken business. Uh, we just use chicken to serve our people. That's it's exactly yeah. the version. Yeah. We're in the people business. It's just this yeah. is the tool we use to make the impact. Man, that's profound stuff, Howard. Um, I really appreciate you just kind of opening your life up and sharing that with us. I. I'm inspired and um, it's got me thinking about a couple of the the personal values. I need to tweak some of my definitions maybe, but also I want to talk to my team about this. How are we doing? We're in a fast growing scenario right now and make sure that I'm not the only one who's um, uh, trying to, I'm, I'm trying the process of trying to do this open-handed values, but let them make decisions. And, and that's got to be a whole organization that way. So that's well, right. for some, spending some time with me. I appreciate God, it. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. It's great. Yeah, fun as always. Thanks, man. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Upgrade Engines with Scott Wozniak. If you want to hear more of my thoughts on life and leadership, you might want to sign up for my weekly newsletter at www.scottwozniak.com upgrade. 
That's S-C-O-T-T-W-O-Z-N-I-A-K.com slash upgrade. You'll get a cool quote, a deep thought, and a recommendation for something that I use and love. It's not long and it should be fun. The theme is similar to this podcast, but it's not the same content. And if you're a leader who wants to build a legendary brand, you can check out my company's website to learn how we can help at www.swazconsulting.com. That's S-W-O-Z consulting.com. Change really is possible. Dreams can come true. It may take a while, but you can upgrade anything if you build the right engine.